Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in. Talk Bookish to Me is the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I'm joined by Jesse. We're here for the third book discussion of the year. The House Across the Lake by Riley Sager is a psychological thriller version of The Great Gatsby. There's Across the Lake spying, a short list of suspects, and a wild plot twist. We're going in-depth with our discussion, so if you've read it and you want to hear what we thought, or you just want to know if we think you should pick it up, that's what we're here to share. This was by far my most anticipated book of the year, so I'm very excited for this discussion. Hello everyone, my name is Jessie. I have a YouTube channel called Reading with Jess. I typically like to do reading vlogs, wrap-ups, TBR challenges, book hauls and reviews. You can also catch me over on Instagram at readingwithjess underscore. The number one way you can support this podcast right now is by joining Patreon. I know I mention it a lot, but if you're a fan of the podcast or my YouTube channel, or you want to join a growing bookish community, you need to check it out. I always have it linked in the show notes. I offer one tier for $5 a month. It's the night owl tier. Um, You receive milestone pins upon three months, six months, and a year of your support. Other fun benefits include discord access, bonus episodes, behind the scenes stuff, reading vlogs. I did a reading vlog of this book and my patrons get to hear all of my thoughts first. I also do printable recipe cards, which I do have a signature cocktail for this book, and they get a printable recipe card of that cocktail. They also get to vote on just like random stuff that I need to know, and I need someone to make the decision for me. The more listeners who join, the more you can shape the future of the podcast, including voting on which books are discussed, which episodes take priority, and more. Just so you know, the beginning of this episode will be spoiler free in case you haven't had a chance to read it yet. But I have a feeling this was a high priority for a lot of readers. So hopefully you're tuning in and having read the book yourself. If not, no worries. I'll let you know before we hop into some spoilers. In case you didn't know, The House Across the Lake released on June 21st. So again, another very new release. This book was selected by my patrons. Hallelujah, because like I said, by far my most anticipated book of the year. And I think there are just so many other Riley Sager fans out there. And my patrons love Riley Sager as much as I do. I think that's why that one won. Casey Fletcher is a recent widowed actress trying to escape from a streak of bad press. And she's retreated for peace and quiet at her family's lake house in Vermont. Armed with a pair of binoculars and several bottles of liquor, she passes time watching Tom and Catherine Royce, the glamorous couple who live in the house across the lake. One day on the lake, Casey saves Catherine from drowning and the two strike up a budding friendship. But the more they get to know each other, the longer Casey watches and it becomes clear that Catherine and Tom's marriage is not as perfect and placid as it appears. When Catherine suddenly vanishes, Casey becomes consumed with finding out what happened to her. In the process, she uncovers eerie dark truths that turn a tale of surveillance and suspicion into a story of guilt, obsession, and how looks can be very deceiving. 
Riley Sager is the New York Times bestselling author of six novels, including The House Across the Lake. His first novel, Final Girls, has been published in 30 countries and won the ITW Thriller Award for Best Hardcover Novel. A native of Pennsylvania, he now lives in Princeton, New Jersey. In addition to writing, Riley enjoys reading, movies, and baking. His favorite film is Rear Window, or maybe Jaws, but probably, if he's being honest, Mary Poppins. So classic questions right off the bat. Have you read any other Riley Sager books and will you read any of their future releases based on your experience with The House Across the Lake? So I personally have read all of Riley Sager books. I do plan on picking up more and reading his future work. Riley Sager is still considered one of my favorite authors and still an autobi author for me. I have also read everything published under the pen name Riley Sager. Based on the house across the lake, I would be hesitant to read another book. But since I've read his other books, um, I'm hoping that this was like a one off. And I do still plan to get excited about his next book. Who would you recommend the house across the lake to? So this is kind of hard. I would recommend reading this if you are a Riley Sager fan. That way you can continue with his whole collection of novels. Um, I also find his writing to be very easy to read to where I don't have to overthink anything and it doesn't go over my head. I do think this was very different for him, so it may appeal to some people. I would pass if you haven't read anything by him and just recommend his backlist. I also think this is a very tough question um, for this particular book because the first 60% of the book was one thing and the last 40% was another. I will say that the first 60% felt very classic Sager to me. Um, definitely what I would have come to expect from him. The other 40%, if you liked The Patient by Jasper DeWitt or Behind Her Eyes by Sarah Pimboro, then you might enjoy this one characters. <laughs> Were there any characters you specifically liked or disliked? Honestly, I didn't care for any of the characters. I found them all to be unlikable and found myself not caring about their situation or even their backstory. I did find some of the side characters to be more interesting, like Casey's mother, Eli, and even the detective. But Tom and Catherine's character came off as like too trying too hard or showy or show offish um they honestly didn't make sense to me and there was boone i was trying to root for him for either as a hero or a villain but i felt like his character was only there for chemistry between him and casey and i'm just not a fan of that I didn't like any of the characters this time either. I wanted to root for Casey. You know, she's the main character. I'm always trying to root for the main character. But I felt like she was just bumbling her way through things and was drinking way too freaking much to be of any like actual use. <laughs> um, Catherine and Tom both felt like super fake to me. Tom was shallow AF and Catherine came off like she was like using Casey. Like she wasn't genuinely interested in being her friend. She just happened to have been saved by her and they happened to live across the lake from each other. Eli, the long-term lake resident that supplied Casey with her booze, wasn't actually even in the story enough to matter. And then Boone, I have some thoughts about him, which I'll discuss later. But yeah, I wasn't really a fan of his either. 
Oh, anyway, um, moving on to the setting, it was set in Lake Green, Vermont, which is not an actual place, by the way. I mean, Vermont is obviously, um, but Lake Green is not. So it was based on a lake <laughs> that I guess Riley Sager knows. Anyway, what did you think about the setting? Um, I was really excited to read something about this because I do live near a huge lake um, here in Virginia. So I was kind of excited to have a summer mystery lake house book. Um, but I personally felt like we got more description of the two main houses versus the actual lake. Uh, this book is kind of described as having like stories behind it and legends and it being haunted or something, but I just didn't really get all those vibes at all. I felt like this was more of a standard lake and I felt like it was really hard to imagine the scenery. I did like the setting, but I think it was underused. That was the problem. I think it needed more lake vibes. I want that lake life, you know? Um, we got a lot of the lake, but Trish, like this hurricane, the tropical storm, um, could have been such like a cool element to the story. Um, on page five, it said the tail end of a category four hurricane turned tropical storm as it swerved like a boomerang from deep inland back to the North Atlantic. Did Sager like forget that he wrote in this storm or were portions like cut from the final draft? I mean, I guess we'll never know, but it was definitely a missed opportunity because living on a lake and you got a like a hurricane tropical storm coming through, that's pretty big. I mean, power is definitely going out at the very least. And I thought that would have made it like super creepy, but no, 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 no. Also, the story was set in fall. <laughs> like, I don't think you would ever know that. First, if a book is set in fall, I kind of want it to release in fall. I don't know. Is that just me? Um, and the chill in the air, the frosty mornings, the leaves, something to make me feel like it was set in fall was missing. I mean, they were like swimming in the lake. I mean, it just, it did not feel like fall at all. So I feel like there were just some things that were like, either things got cut or like he forgot, <laughs> or I didn't pick up on them. But yeah, I don't know. It was it was strange. Now, you guys know, I love pairing a cocktail with books that I discuss on the podcast. And I knew from page number seven, that I was going to go with a bourbon cocktail. And the amount of bourbon that Casey drinks in this story is literally insane. How her liver are functioning at all, I will never understand. Um, but I think she would approve of this beverage. <laughs> the maple syrup idea I took from much later in the story, page 187, when Boone and Casey go to the supermarket, part tourist trap, and there's like a banner advertising maple syrup. So the signature cocktail for the House Across the Lake by Riley Sager is none other than the Maple Bourbon Smash. It's a simple recipe with few ingredients. Check the show notes, Instagram, and like I said, if you're a patron, you'll get a recipe card. 
Next up, questions from Instagram. It's so funny because I think people really liked Lena's questions from my last book discussion because read underscore with underscore Emma and C of the Sun 14. And of course, Lena's bookshelf asked a similar question. They wanted to know where this book ranks among the other Riley Sager books that we have read. For me, <laughs> The House Across the Lake is at the very bottom of the stack, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's it's dead last for me, and it's the only book I've rated under four stars. I don't know what I have rated all of his books, but I think they have all been four or five stars for me mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And this was not that. No, so. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Um, See the Sun 14 also asked, did you like the plot twist or was it too far fetched or ridiculous? Well, (laughs) we will get more into this very soon. But for me, it was a big no. If you know me and you know my reading tastes, I hate H-A-T-E, hate books that have this trope in them. So definitely far-fetched and ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah, same. Uh, this For this book, nine times out of ten, it is not for me at all. I don't like this trope at all. It's so far-fetched and ridiculous. No. Yeah, big no. And then at Jamie Nash, double underscore asked, what did you think of the long chapters? And I didn't feel like the chapters were long. I actually thought they were quite short until I like, I got this question and I looked back through my book. Um, There were some longer chapters, but there were also some very short chapters as well. Um, I guess it didn't affect me at all. Like, I mean, because... I didn't really realize it. Um, How about you, Jesse? Did you think the chapters were long? I did feel like they were very long, but let me just paraphrase this. I did listen to most of this book on audio and the book has no chapter numbers or headers. So if you're listening to it, it does feel like it just goes on and on and on. Um, But I will say the audio book does at least present the two timelines before continuing on with the story. Oh, that's nice. That's good to know. Okay, listeners, if you haven't read the book or haven't finished the book yet, this is the time where I'd like to encourage you to close out today's episode and come back to listen when you've read the book. Moving forward, we're going to be discussing things more in detail and it will contain spoilers. You've been warned. So now that we're in the spoiler section, another question from Instagram, I had to save it for the spoiler section, um, came from Megan Ray 047. She asked, what did you think of the supernatural elements? Did you wish there were more or less? This is the part that I was talking about. I personally am not a fan of paranormal or supernatural themes and stories. So I definitely wanted less (laughs) Um, none would have been great. Um, since this involves like the big twist of the story, I will definitely be going into more of my thoughts about this, but in general, not a fan. Same. I'm not a big fan of this story and the twist that was in there. I feel like I've read other books with this particular twist or element and I've never really been a fan. And I feel like it's a cheap twist to bank on. And I don't know why people keep using it. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to the 
plot and pacing. First, I want to tackle the pacing because the plot is just a lot right now. <laughs> um, the pacing was overall well done, in my opinion. I think that it had enough things happening in the story. And then like a smaller reveal was made or something to make me go, oh, so that's what happened. I liked how we got to know more about the lake's residents while at the same time, we got like a lay of the land around the lake, like how everything you know, was mapped out. Um, I also really liked how we learned more about Casey and her past in her step-by-step -step how to become tabloid fodder in seven easy steps. So like on page 31, an acquaintance of Casey who edits celebrity memoirs approached her about writing a memoir. And this was her title idea, like sort of jokingly. But I like how Sager used that to tell us more about Casey instead of just like the normal, here's Casey, let me introduce this character. Um, um, so I appreciated that and the now and before sections were spread apart. So I didn't feel like I was getting jerked around in the timeline. I didn't think it was like now, before, after, da, 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 like every other chapter. It was kind of spread out. So that made me like kind of sink into the story a little bit easier. Agreed. I found the pacing to be really good. I loved how it did jump to the present timeline almost at random I found the pacing to be really good around Casey and her backstory and how she later develops on into the story. Also, I kind of felt Casey's daily routine of sulking around in grief and drinking the day away. It never really felt routine or repetitive. It, I guess because she always found something new going on, but it never felt repetitive, which I really appreciate. Yeah. All right. The majority of the plot... <laughs> Like I said at the beginning, it was kind of like a 60-40 split for me. The majority of the plot I really enjoyed. I've always been a fan of stories like these, the ones where a neighbor sees something they shouldn't because they were like spying. And now they have to convince the police or people around them that something bad happened, like The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins, The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn, and Watching You by Lisa Jewell, just to name a few. And that's pretty much the setup for the house across the lake. It starts with Casey seeing something out in the lake, rescuing Catherine from drowning, and then Tom and Catherine boating across to Casey's house to thank her for saving his wife. They're drinking and having a good time. But at the end of the night, Catherine passes out and Tom and Catherine head home. And then the next day, Catherine texts to apologize and Casey invites her over for some coffee. And then they set up a standing date to do it again the next morning. And then later that night, Casey is spying on the house across the lake and sees some strange interactions between Catherine and Tom, then later is startled awake by what Casey believes is like a woman screaming coming from across the lake. And then the next morning, Catherine doesn't show up for morning coffee. So Casey tries to reach out to Catherine and her messages go unanswered her calls go straight to voicemail and she suspects that tom had something to do with Catherine's sudden disappearance the rest of the story is basically casey trying to find Catherine and prove that tom had something to do with her sudden disappearance yeah and like you said i think i mostly like a nosy neighbor or someone seeing or thinking they saw something that they weren't supposed to see. But I think after reading this one, it made me realize that I don't really like that trope anymore. I feel like it's been overdone. Um, it's not anything different from any other books out there. I did, however, enjoy reading some of the weird things that Catherine did, like almost signaling something to Casey. 
if you were to take the spying or the rear view mirror element out of the picture, it reminds me a lot more of like Lock Every Door where the main character is trying to solve a mystery that she doesn't really need to be solving. <laughs> right. It's like you don't even know, like, is this your place at all? Yeah. No, it's exactly. really not. <laughs> so the writing. This is the time when I usually like to talk about the writing. But I think in order to really dig in and examine the writing this time, we need to jump straight into the major and minor twists of the story. This is a thriller. Um, it didn't just have one twist. I thought that there were like many twists along the way. So let's talk about the plot twist. This is one thing that I have loved about Sager's other books. So I'm always like super excited to go into his new book and see how he's going to shock me this time. So the first one that I picked up and I thought it was a fun first surprise was right at the beginning, Casey is being interviewed by Wilma and says that she has no idea where Tom is. And as soon as Wilma leaves, she goes upstairs and has Tom tied up on one of the beds. And I want to go ahead and read how that actually like played out. Um, it's on page six to seven. All right. So at the top of page seven, it says, quote, I have absolutely no clue where Tom Royce could be. I lean forward, my palms flat against the table, trying to summon the same opaque energy Wilma's putting off. If you don't believe me, you're welcome to search the house. Wilma considers it. For the first time since we sat down, I can sense her mind ticking as steadily as the grandfather clock. And then she says, I believe you. She finally says for now, but I could change my mind at any moment. And then when she leaves, she pours herself a bourbon. And then a little bit later on the page, um, bourbon glass in hand, I head upstairs to the first bedroom on the right. He's exactly how I left him splayed out across the twin bed, ankles and wrists tied to the bedpost, towel stuffed into his mouth to form a makeshift Gag. I remove the towel, sit on the identical bed on the other side of the room, and take a low, slow sip of bourbon. We're running out of time, I say. Now tell me what you did to Catherine. I was screaming. I was like, yes, Riley Sager, yes. So what did you think about that when you got to that moment in the book? Most of the thrillers I've read try to make you believe it's always the husband. So for the book to jump right into Casey holding Tom hostage... It really shocked me, or I should say, quote, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love having a twist at the very beginning. I don't think I've really seen that as much as I would like um, because it definitely kept me on my toes as I dove deeper into, into the story. And, of course, we later find out that it's not really Tom, so it made me pause and rethink what I thought I had been reading the whole time. Yeah, that was smart writing because we were led to believe that it was Tom. It never said it was Tom. It just said he. Then later on, on page 219, when she's back with the tied up person, she says, what do you plan on doing with Tom Royce? And I was like, what? What? What is happening? So like I said, I was like, what? And then I had to assume that she had Boone tied up. Because the pronouns used were he and Boone was the logical option at that moment to me. Of course, we later find out that it was actually Catherine who was possessed by Lynn. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. But yeah, just it's so funny how authors can lead you down a path and make you assume things based on just like 
you know, other things that are being talked about on the same page. And I was like, that was really smart. You know, props to Sager for that one. Another moment is when Casey thought she found Catherine floating in the lake, as in dead, closed eyes, blue lips, frigid skin, no trace of a heartbeat. And then suddenly the woman's body suddenly spasms and her eyes snap open. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I found it odd that she was just okay as if nothing happened with, especially with all these descriptions that were presented to us. But I guess after like Casey dropped her off at her dock, I really didn't think that much into it anymore. It just felt like it was still odd. Um, but as we dove more into the story, it makes more sense. I knew from the synopsis that Casey rescued her, but at that moment, it was kind of sketchy. I would have been freaking out. <laughs> I'll just be honest. I would have been screaming. And I know Casey questioned Catherine as to what she was doing, swimming in the lake in October. And Catherine explained it away saying, oh, I love swimming in the cold. Every New Year's Day, I do the polar plunge. But I was like, that's sus. That, that No, no, no. This is not working for me. The average high temperature in Vermont in October is in the 50s, guys. So this was not very smart writing. Again, I think he forgot he was writing a book in Vermont in the fall. Like it's cold there. No one's swimming in no lakes in Vermont in October, okay? I think a bit of research could have been done to make it more believable. Um, I just wasn't buying it. I actually did a quick little Google search like, you know, what's the weather like in Vermont in October? Um, yeah, I wasn't believing that she was just out swimming in the lake. I, something was weird to me. All right, the next one let's talk about is that Catherine suddenly went back to New York. All of a sudden, um, that was what Tom said, like, oh, she just went back to New York. Like, all of a sudden, did you ever believe that Catherine did go home? Oh, not for one minute. Um, I have learned to never really trust what someone says about the whereabouts of a missing person. I knew the Instagram photo was not really posted by Catherine. It was just too convenient. Plus, with Sager painting this picture of Tom having money problems and the scenes of Catherine and Tom fighting and Catherine sneaking around her own home. I knew Catherine was still around locally, whether dead or alive. I wasn't buying it either. I was like, nah, -uh. mm, this is like you said, when someone says, oh, I know where the missing person is. They just went home or they went to go stay with a friend. Or I'm like, no, you're lying. <laughs> um, Tom was acting way too sketchy. Catherine and Casey had that standing morning coffee thing going on. And I think if something happened that made Catherine return to New York, she definitely would have like reached out and let Casey know. I just got that feeling like she just seemed like that type of person to let someone know not just disappear without a trace I also thought it was super convenient that Casey knew exactly um where Catherine and Tom lived in New York like <laughs> um so that she was able to send her friend Marnie to the building to check if Catherine was there and then the Instagram post I mean <laughs> We all knew it was fake, but the fact that Riley Sager 
literally tried to play it off like the picture could have only come from Tom's phone because he was the one that took the picture. Like once she looked at the reflection and all that, she's like, oh, Tom took the picture. So it could have only come from Tom's phone. I was like, no, absolutely not. I give my phone to people all the time and say, hey, can you take this picture of me or take this picture of me and my friends, um, especially my husband. <laughs> I mean, I know in the grand scheme of things, it's not like a big deal. It didn't like change the plot or anything like who cares. But literally that stood out to me because I was like, I have had other people take pictures of me on my own phone. So the fact that she was like, oh, it couldn't have been Catherine because <laughs> I was just like, that is so dumb. Moving on to our next one. When Casey broke into the Roy's home and found Catherine's phone hidden in a drawer, she called it to make sure that it was in fact Catherine's phone. But then she was like, okay, she wiped it down. She put it back in the drawer and she was about to leave the closet. But then the phone rang again. So she went back to the phone and was able to snap a picture of the number glowing on Catherine's screen before the caller hung up. And this happens on page like 156 to 157. What did you think about that? I, so later on when you find out, I feel like this put more of a target on Boone for me. I found his reasoning to be convenient for Casey, but also suspicious for the phone call, especially for the reasoning and what you later find out about Boone and Catherine. Um, I saw your notes, Gwen, and I feel like you sum it up a lot better. So I'll just let you go with that one. <laughs> so this was another huge inconsistency that made no sense. Um, you'll have to stick with me because it's going to take a minute. Um, we have to go back to that whole scene where Casey goes into the Roy's home. She does some sleuthing. And then as she's leaving, Tom pulls up. She's totally panicked, and at the last possible moment, Boone calls out Tom's name and engages with him in conversation, which allows Casey to slip out of the house and make a run for it. When Casey gets back to her house, Boone is standing there, quote, his arms folded across his chest like an angry parent. Turns out that he saw Casey walking past the house and ran onto her porch to keep watch, used her binoculars and was able to then run interference when Tom got home so Casey could get out. That was great. I was like, good job. <laughs> um, but then the next scene we need to examine begins when Casey and Tom eye each other with binoculars across the lake. So she's standing on her dock. He's standing on his dock. She's trying to spy on him once again. And they're both looking at each other on <laughs> binoculars across the lake. And then Tom drives over to Casey's house to confront her, banging on her door and all of that. That was really, really creepy. At the end of that scene, Boone once again has come to the rescue. Casey passes out. And in the morning, Boone is still there. He's making breakfast. They're reviewing the clues so far. And Casey remembers that she has a picture of that number that she took on the phone. Um, so she dials the number. And she's doing all this in the kitchen with Boone. Just keep that in mind. So she dials the number. And whose phone rings? Boone's phone rings. That's right. <laughs> the guy that literally saw her go over to the Royce house knew that Casey found Catherine's phone and knew she was it was his phone number. And yet in this scene, when his phone actually rings, his lame excuses 
I called hoping that we were wrong and she was there avoiding me and that you bargain barging in like that would force her to answer the phone and tell me that she was okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. That whole, none of those like fit together like a puzzle piece. Those scenes together make absolutely no sense. It would have worked better seeing his number from like the day before or something like that. Um, not him actually calling the phone as Casey is literally slipping the phone back into the drawer. Supposedly, while Boone is watching. <laughs> this makes no sense. Next one, Lynn who is Casey's husband, well, her ex-husband, deceased husband, um, being a serial killer. And the fact that she killed him. What did you think about that? Okay, so once we got more information about the missing or the dead girls in the area, once we knew that happened in the past, I knew in my gut that Lynn had to be behind all of them. Like, I knew there was something weird about that. And I felt like Sager was trying to paint this picture that maybe someone at the lake who was still living was behind them. But something told me the death stopped when Lynn died. I felt like it was weird that there hadn't been any, I think in like a year, maybe 18 months. And I did think, I d but I didn't think Casey was behind the death of Lynn. I That completely shocked me. I thought Lynn knew Tom or knew Boone and there was some kind of partnership between them but yet again Riley Sager shocks me with it being Casey who actually killed Lynn. I thought this was so good. This was like one of my all-time favorite parts. I really liked this twist. Um, I did not see it coming either. I like how everything was revealed about it too. My only issue is the antihistamine part. <laughs> um, granted, he was also drinking and he did have a triple dose of antihistamine, but I feel like no matter how much I've been drinking and how much <laughs> antihistamine I have in my system, I would still recognize being in the lake about to drown. <laughs> and the funniest thing is that when I was reading this book, I was actually having an allergy attack and I had taken a double dose of antihistamine. <laughs> so my patrons get to hear all about how I'm on antihistamines while I'm reading this twist in this book. But for real though, yes, antihistamines definitely do make you sleepy, drowsy. You're not on your A game. But I'm thinking, okay, I'm standing on a lake. My husband pushes me overboard. I'm going to know, oh, crap, you know, something's happening to me. I'm not going to just disappear into the ether. <laughs> like, what the heck? Um, and then it said on page 267 um, was, then I pushed him over the side of the boat and watched him vanish into the dark water. I let it go while I was reading it because I knew I wanted to revisit it later. And honestly, like, I still don't have much clarity on the matter. Like, would this be a thing that actually happened? Like, how much was he drinking? How much did antihistamines really affect him? Like, maybe he's never taken antihistamines before. And, you know, maybe that could, I don't know, <laughs> cause something for him to drink. But I was just like, so that was a little far-fetched to me. But I was just like, whatever. I just love that he was the serial killer taking out these girls and like how she found the pictures. And like, oh, that was just so good. And I totally did not even suspect. I mean, Lynn's dead. 
the whole time I'm told Len is dead. So I'm thinking he's dead. And I didn't put it together that the last murder was like a year ago or whatever. So good on you that you figured that out a little bit. But I freaking loved that. That was like my one of my favorite parts of the whole book. So now the big twist, guys. The magic freaking lake. Um, so what happened to Catherine? Where was she? Did Tom have something to do with it? When Catherine drowned in the lake, Lynn's spirit possessed her. Tom figured out that Catherine wasn't herself and chained her up in the basement of the Fitzgerald's house next door. The Fitzgerald's house is only occupied from Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend and the rest of the year it's empty. Tell me what you thought of this final plot twist. I was shocked at this at first. I would have never imagined that this would be another case of the body snatchers. I wasn't really enjoying the first half of the book. So I was finally excited to have something happen in the book and especially for it to be unexpected and different. But as I kept reading, I quickly realized that this is not what I wanted. I usually don't like paranormal twists in my stories. And I've never really been a fan of someone possessing over someone else as a way to shock someone. I found this to be a cheap way out of the story. And honestly, I kind of felt like DNFing at that point when that was revealed. Um, I am glad I finished the book out and got a little bit more backstory as to why Lynn took over Catherine's body and what his plan was to do with her and Casey. I also love seeing all the clues and the signals all come back and make sense, especially when Catherine was using Casey's nickname, C. Yeah, that was very, when she was like, um, I'm fine, C. Like, yeah. I was like, no, I'm like, C-E-E, like Yeah, I didn't catch that at first, but then I think Casey brought it up again before the twist, and I was like, wait a minute. So it all made sense. But not in a way to where I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I don't even know where to begin with this, to be honest. (laughs) I guess first I'll mention for those who are not familiar with my reading taste that I do not like paranormal stories. So imagine me as I'm reading along and enjoying the first 60% of the story that was very much based in the real world with real world crimes and happenings to then be slapped in the face with the most ridiculous out of left field twist that Riley Saker could have come up with. Catherine is possessed by Casey's dead husband. Was I shocked? Of course. There was absolutely no way for me to see that coming because there was no buildup, no supernatural vibes, no threads of clues, absolutely nothing it went from realistic to supernatural real quick and it just felt like it was such a cop-out I felt so cheated and like stunned I was rolling my eyes so hard I was positive that Sager had another trick up his sleeve that is the only like this happened you find out at like the 40% mark so you saw 40% of the book to read and I'm thinking, oh, he revealed this way too early. It cannot be this. There is no way. And I kept reading and rolling my eyes and reading and rolling my eyes. And Sager actually doubled down on the possession. <laughs> and I about lost it. 
even after that, I was holding out hope. I was like, oh my God, please let there be something. Let the last line clear up all of this foolishness. Maybe it can still eke out like a three-star rating, but no. The possession stands, guys. That was the twist. That is what happened to Catherine. Y'all know. No, 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 no. Not good. Not only was the twist not good, but I have so many questions about it. For it taking up 40% of the book and me still having questions about it, why not take possession of Casey's body rather than Catherine from the start? Like when Catherine was in the lake, dead or supposedly, you know, being taken over, why didn't he just take her then? Why was Tom hiding her instead of getting her help? Why didn't he immediately inform Casey that Catherine was claiming to be her dead husband? And the kicker is that Tom was actually poisoning her all along. So that was one of the threads that Casey thought is that there could have been poison involved. And he literally was poisoning poisoning his wife. So why not kill her? Poisoning my wife little by little so she dies of something else and I inherit everything. But then your husband, good old talkative Lynn, gave me a much better idea. Antihistamine and some wine. Make her good and drowsy. Drop her into the water and let her sink. So why, if he was trying to kill her all along, didn't he just go ahead and kill her? No. (laughs) I just... I mean, I'm drained after going over all that, but I still have a few more questions. So are there any like quotes or passages that stood out to you? I don't really keep track of quotes, but I remember distinctly the lines that we had already discussed, like where Casey finds like finds out that Lynn is actually in Catherine's body and Lynn or slash Catherine says like, oh, you're the one that killed me. Or right at the very beginning, when you find out that Casey actually has Tom, quote, quote, or a body, like just those really stuck out, but nothing word for word. So I do have a couple on page 36, originally called Lake Ochi by the indigenous tribe that once lived in the area. It was renamed Lake Green in honor of the first white man intrepid enough to build here because, well, America. The only thing I want to say about that quote is that for Riley Sager to have brought something like that up, he needed to broaden the context and make it more than just like this one-liner with absolutely nothing else in the entire novel to support it. Like, that was just, I don't know, they should have edited that out in my opinion. Um, And the last one was so fitting with how I was feeling at the time while I was reading it. I couldn't help but share it. So on page 45, um, it starts with that stuff Ellie told us the other night, Tom says in a sacred guilty murmur about the lake and the people believing spirits are trapped in the water. I remember, I think, I think it's true. I think something was in that lake, a ghost, a soul, whatever. And it was waiting there in the water and whatever it was entered Catherine and she almost drowned. And now, now it's taken her over. I'm unsure how to respond. And here's the quote. What can one say when faced with something so absurd? And I was like, same. Because <laughs> like, it was just so absurd to me. Uh, I was just, mm, yeah. Okay, moving on. What did you think of the last chapter? Um, <laughs> okay. I felt like Sager was trying to wrap everything up in this pretty, pretty little bow. 
And if the whole story didn't feel real, this ending really felt unreal. Boone and Casey getting together made absolutely no sense. I hated it. I felt like what happened in the book was not something that would make a struggling alcoholic also get sober. If anything, I think it would make them turn to the bottle more. (laughs) But again, Casey is with Boone and maybe that's what she really needed all along was someone to help her recover. So absolutely hated the last chapter. And honestly, I feel like you should just skip it. (laughs) I think you should just skip the book. (laughs) Just well, that too. But if you do want to read it, just don't read the last chapter. The fact that Boone and Casey were together at the end was just stupid, (laughs) y'all. He was the secret caller to Catherine's phone. He kissed Catherine, even though he knew that she was married. And he lied about how his wife died. Mm -hmm. Plus, Casey hasn't told him the truth about what really happened to Catherine and how she knew Lynn killed those three women. Also, Catherine quote, put her glass castle on the market and moved into Casey's lake house the moment they left the hospital. That was weird. Like, wasn't Catherine, like, super wealthy, worth, like, $35 million or something like that? Can't she afford a place of her own? The final thing I'll bring up is how Casey suddenly went from drinking all day. And when we say drinking, y'all, we're not talking she has a glass a day. I'm talking she had a supplier, (laughs) Eli was her alcohol supplier. I don't know how she was standing. (laughs) She, I literally thought it was going to be like this weird daydream or something with the amount that she was drinking. And to go from drinking all day to being 10 weeks sober in the last chapter. mm -mm. No, 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 no. So any final thoughts? What could have made it better? Or is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, I feel like we covered a lot of it, but this was such a disappointment and I'm so glad I get to discuss it with you. Like this made it way more enjoyable than it could by itself. (laughs) Um, But yeah, again, I was looking for this twist. I've heard a lot of people saying that the twist or what really happens was like shocking or people weren't liking it, but I was trying to keep an open mind. But y'all, this, this twist, I, if I would have known that was it, I could have told you I was not going to like it from the beginning. It's surprising though, because like, I think if I would have knew that it had a paranormal, supernatural like element to it, and that was a twist, I probably still would have read it because I love Riley Sager so much that I thought that he would have done it well. And it's not that it just had the paranormal twist. It's that there was no clues leading to that. Nothing else, literally nothing in the first 60% of the book was supernatural at all. And they kind of like make it sound like the lake is like haunted or there's this magical element, but it's so like brushed over that the twist coming about like just didn't really make sense. And with the setting, I never felt like the lake was creepy or any haunting vibes at all. So I feel like if they would have implemented a little bit more, 
maybe I wouldn't be as upset with it, but again, it just wasn't done very well. They should have had like the storm come through, the power go out, other creepy things happen. And then I would have been like, okay. I mean, I still wouldn't have liked the twist. Okay. But it wouldn't have been so ridiculous to me at that point. Yeah. It was so, not, again, like you said, slap you in the face with it. Yeah. The only way the story could have been better is either do away with the supernatural twist, which is my personal choice. Um, say like Eli was poisoning Casey since um, he was the person supplying her with the alcohol that she was drinking. And maybe Catherine could have found out what he was doing. So he went after her too. Or the entire story could have had like supernatural elements so that when a spirit from the lake starts inhabiting people, it isn't so far fetched. Um, but I wanted to mention the audiobook narration for a minute <laughs> because I, the narrator sounds 100 years old, y'all. She does. She literally I made it worse. was like 30 <laughs> yeah. or something. Like she yeah, was mid 30s. Yeah. The narrator was Bernadette Dunn who has narrated a ton of books, including Wild by Cheryl Strayed, to The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, to books by Donna Andrews, Margaret Atwood, Dorothea Benton Frank, among others. And her voice sounded too old for Casey. I can't say that I would particularly recommend the audiobook for this. I mean, I don't recommend the book, but if you're going to do it, I would recommend reading it physically. Um, but the funny part is, is that when I looked up a picture of the narrator, she is not old. Really? <laughs> so it blew my mind. Yes. She is not old. Oh, my gosh. So I think you guys know. I think you can tell. We did not vibe with this mm -mm. book. No. Um, <laughs> But what's your final rating? How did you enjoy it overall? <sighs> okay. Given this a whopping one star. <laughs> um, I think mostly because I did not enjoy 90% of it. The first half I wasn't vibing with until the twist. And then I still wasn't liking the twist. I hated all the characters. I felt like the first half kept going on and on. Um and then only the second half is when things started happening. And sadly, it was not a way that I would have preferred. Also, like you said, the narrator made it 10 times worse. I couldn't stand her voice. She sounded like someone that was much older. And honestly, if I would have just read it physically, maybe a two star. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that audiobook brought it down a star. Yeah. It was just a collective of bad. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up rating it two stars. So the house across the lake, two stars for me. I really enjoyed the first 60%. Um, but at that point, you know, it all kind of depends what happens in the end. Um, I w at that point, I was leaning towards like a four star, uh, possibly a five, depending on what happened at the end. But that last 40% was trash. Did not like, do not recommend. So guys, that concludes our discussion of The House Across the Lake by Riley Sager. Thank you for reading and discussing it with me, Jesse. It feels so good getting to share how I felt with a friend because I don't think you listeners know, but when I read a book from for the podcast, 
I put myself in a little bubble. I don't discuss with my guest. I don't look up reviews. I don't, I literally put myself in a bubble, consume this book and ignore the world as far as this book is concerned until I have this discussion. Until I'm done reading it, I put my thoughts down on paper and then I start seeing what other people think. And I literally don't talk to my guest until we're recording. So I had no idea that Jesse also hated this book. So it feels like super satisfying that we felt the same way. Jesse was saying at the beginning that she was hoping one of us loved it. You know, she was hoping I loved it because she knew she didn't. And I thought that would have made a really interesting, you know, conversation as well. But sadly, this was just not it for us, you guys. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, thank you so much for having me back on the podcast. I love being here, but also gifting me this book. You were so sweet and pre-ordered it for me like months ago. Um, although this wasn't a favorite, I really enjoyed Buddy reading this with you and chatting with you tonight, finally. Because like Gwen said, we have not discussed anything except the time and day that we're talking about this book. <laughs> so now that we both have discuss what what we thought it's nice to finally have that out in the open and I hope we get to do more in the future absolutely talk bookers to me is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you book discussions recommendations and literary topics galore follow me on instagram at talk bookers podcast rate and review the podcast on apple and spotify also the link for patreon is in the show notes along with the links for jesse's social media and the signature cocktail recipe until next time happy reading <laughs> <laughs>